The church in Rome, the Christian church, really had two major parties or groups of people in it. Christians who had a Jewish background and then all the other Christians who had non-Jewish or a Gentile background. This often caused clashes even in church, even in this place in Rome. The Apostle Paul is writing about one of those clashes now and it's a great text in scripture to help us study the second commandment. Romans chapter 2 beginning at verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew... If you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, Do you not teach yourself? You preach against stealing. Do you steal? You say that people should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? All of those questions Paul writes as if the answer is yes. As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. A person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is a circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. This is God's word. Last year in America, 15 million consumers had their identity stolen. That is just shy of the entire population of Arizona, Colorado, and Wisconsin combined. One watchdog on their, uh, this is Identity Theft Watchdog um, on their website, they write this about the prevalence of identity theft. They say, credit, debit, and checking and saving accounts are no longer the only targets. Identity fraud has grown to include a theft of cell and landline phone service, cable and satellite television service, power, water, gas, and electric service, internet payment service, medical insurance, home mortgages, and rental housing, automobile, boat, and other forms of financing and loans, and government benefits. Identity thieves will also use stolen identities to obtain employment and to deceive police when they are arrested. (laughs) Hopefully. There is one missing on that list, though. There's one identity theft that I can't believe is not on that list because it's the biggest one of all. It's the most common, it's the most criminal, and it has the most condemning consequences to it. Do you know which one that is? It's God's identity. God's identity is stolen way more than all states combined, way more than any of those methods of identity, which is why God makes the second commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. God says the second commandment to protect his identity and how we use it. So as we study the second commandment today, here's what we want to do. Number one, 
We want to admit that we have acted as identity thieves and stolen God's identity and used it for selfish purposes. Number two, we want to appreciate God's true identity and how he makes it so clear in the scriptures that God actually gives us his very identity and, and gives us a new identity in our lives. And number three, then we want to apply that to how we behave and how we speak so that we give God a five-star review, so that we represent and give God a review of people see us and observe us and say, I, I want your God. I want to worship the God whom you worship. That's the benefit of the second commandment. All right, do you, under, do you know, first of all, no, maybe, maybe understanding comes later, but do you know the number one reason why unchurched people are turned off by the church? It's not God. The number one reason, poll after poll, survey after survey of unchurched people, the number one reason that turns them off to the church is they think that church people are a bunch of Yep, hypocrites. Is that true? Pretty much. Yeah. I, don't argue against that. When people say that to you, it, it, it's relatively true in this sense. We, church people, we love God, and we love the commandments, and we, and we strive for perfect love. Do we always hit the target? Absolutely not. But it's a bit of a misunderstanding on their part, isn't it? Because we know that the church is not a museum of saints. It's a hospital of sinners. Be that as it may, that's another sermon. Uh, it's real. It's real. This, this perception and, and the fact that unchurched people see church people behaving badly. That, that's real, and it happens, and they see us. And then, worse yet, it doesn't just turn them off from the church, but it turns them off from God. That was Paul's concern as he wrote these words, okay? Right? So he takes the Jewish Christians in Rome to task by saying... <laughs> Well, let's, let's read it here. Verse 17 and, and 24 in this section, Romans 2, he says, You call yourself a Jew. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? He's saying, yeah, you steal. You who say that people shouldn't commit adultery, you, you commit adultery? Yeah, you dishonor God. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So, the Jewish Christians were using a fake ID. They were, they were claiming to have this, this identity, which really wasn't the case. And what they did was they raised the bar so high in proclaiming themselves as, oh, well, I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm superior to you, Mr. or Mrs. Gentile, because I'm a Jew. And they gave this aura of, I, I, listen, I'm going to teach you a few things, and boy, I'm, I'm better than you are. I'm holier than thou. I'm enamored with my own opinion. My way is always the better way. And it turned the Gentiles off because the Jews didn't live up to that fake ID. They, they, their behavior didn't match. They didn't practice what they preach. There's a vicious cycle here, and I want you to listen to this carefully when it comes to Misusing a name and that turning into a deep shame 
which cycles back to misusing a name again. Here's how it goes. This is true of you and me, not just of Jewish Christians now. We start out by claiming a great name for ourselves. Look at me. Look how good I am. I'm enamored with my own opinion. I, I, my way is the right way. No one else's way is better than my way. I, I don't need your help. I'm a winner no matter what, right? I, 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 I have this identity and say, I'm, I'm, I've got it. A great name. And then what happens? We can't live up to that. The identity that we create for ourselves, and we might even want it to be good, and it might be reachable, we don't. We don't. We fall at some point. We're all flawed. We don't make it. And then the third step. When we fall, when we don't reach this, this identity we've created for ourselves, this great name, the shame begins. I'm not just talking about embarrassment. I'm talking about something different than guilt. I'm talking about shame. We shame ourselves by the fact that we haven't lived up to the name that we've claimed. And the I am statements begin. These are lies from the devil as he makes us say things like, I am a total failure. I, am, I don't have what it takes. I, I, I'm not strong. I'm not capable. I can't, I can't do this. I'm, I'm someone that no one will ever like. I, I, have an, I, have, I have things that I want to say, but it doesn't matter because no one's going to listen. I'm a loser. And right now we're turned to names of shame instead of great names for ourselves. Now all of a sudden we're names of shame. Next step is because of this shame, we go into hiding. We shrink back. We withdraw. Like Adam and Eve did after they were embarrassed and they shamed themselves after they sinned in the garden by putting on fig leaves and then hiding in the garden. When God came walking in the cool of the day, he had to call, where are you? Because they were hiding in the bushes behind their little fig leaves. And we hide and we withdraw and we shrink back. Then, here's what's natural. Now we're, now we're coming full cycle. How do I get out of the hiding? How do I get out of that, that, that shrinking back? Well, I just claim a great name for myself. I just say, I just look in the mirror and I say, you're a winner, you're valuable, everybody likes you, Stuart Smalley, let's go, I'm, I'm good. And I'm back at the beginning of the cycle. And then I can't live up to that, and then I fall, and then I shame myself, and then I claim a great name after hiding in this cycle. Continues. That's the danger of the, of the name and shame cycle. Uh, and here's one other thing we do at the end of that cycle that relates specifically to the second commandment. When, I, when I'm coming out of hiding and trying to make something of myself and trying to be someone, sometimes I can try to be someone by talking like the people I hang out with, like the people around me, like... And that can be in Facebook comments with four-letter words in them because everybody else is using them. And so I share a Facebook post or a page that has a four-letter word in it. And maybe I know it and maybe I don't. But if I don't, I should because I'm not paying attention. And I, and I slander God's name. 
or in conversations. Conversations with friends, coworkers, neighbors, church people. I cuss and swear like a sailor. I mean, I get it. If you if you're in law enforcement or you hang out in the military, I mean, there's there's certain occupations that are dripping more with cursing and swearing than others, but I don't think any of them is immune. And why do we do that? Why do we talk like that? I talk like that to make myself look like I am someone. To make myself sound like I am someone. And here's what the Bible says in James chapter 3. Out of the same mouth, so it's talking to Christians now, church people like us, says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So Paul's concern for the Jewish Christians is not just that, that they're misrepresenting God, but they're digging a hole for themselves. And you and I are too. When we claim a great name, when we give ourselves an identity that really isn't true, when we shame ourselves, God doesn't want us to do that either. And then we try to be someone and sound like someone or not. Uh, Paul shares the same concern, and God does too. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It hurts not only me, it hurts other people. I kind of wonder what words Goliath was saying. I've seen some movies that that present some nasty-sounding words. I I think they had to be cuss and swear words. I think they had to be pretty vulgar words like Philistines were used to saying, mocking God, spitting in God's face. And here's the trouble. You and I sound like Goliath too much. You and I blaspheme God in, in our hearts and in our thoughts by by using names that just aren't, they don't fit. They're not God's true identity. They're not our true identity. And, and we can blaspheme God by simply saying, God, you're no good. I'm going to find another option. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to back off from you for a while. I don't believe you can do this. <sighs> and you don't spit in God's face without a divine response. Galatians says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Here's what it said in Leviticus, actually. This is the Old Testament time now. Leviticus says this, anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. So, stop for a second here. If what I'm saying is true, and it is, that you and I have blasphemed God's name against the second commandment, and this Bible verse is true, why haven't you and I been swallowed up by an earthquake or taken out by a nine-foot, nine-inch Philistine enemy? Has God not heard our words? Does God not practice what he preaches? Truth of the matter is, yeah, we've blasphemed God. And yeah, that's mocking God, and you don't spit, and it's like poking a lion. You don't blaspheme God and nothing happens. But here's here's the answer. God's response has already happened. The death for blasphemy 
your blasphemy and I, mine, the, the death for that has already taken place in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at these words from Mark 14. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? Right? Know who's talking there? Those are the religious leaders during Jesus' day who were, who were tired of him. Why? Because he was cursing God, claiming to be God, claiming a, a fake identity. Sound familiar? Anyone who blasphemes should be put to death. You've heard the blasphemy they say. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Convicted for blasphemy, Jesus was, for cursing God, for claiming to be someone else. And there is Jesus dying for our blasphemies, every one of them. There is the punishment of death that God promises. Our blasphemy is happening to our Savior Jesus right there. And then, and then he didn't argue. He didn't complain. He didn't curse you or me at all during the process. Um, these awesome words from Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus wasn't cussing you up and down when he was suffering and in pain and dying. He was silent, the Bible says. He, was, he accepted that fate lovingly, gladly all the while keeping the second commandment and not cursing his father either, and not blaspheming, but forgiving. And so that, that is what forgives you. That is what makes you innocent and pure. As God looks at you and sees someone who's kept the second commandment perfectly, just like his own son. And then these words from Philippians. And being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus went from the worst blasphemer, because he carried our sins, to the biggest and best name that nobody's name will ever beat as he died for our sins and then he rose from the dead and he conquered everything and, and God the Father brought him back and exalted him and, and claimed him and said, that's, that's my boy. That's the Savior of the world. You did it. You, you took the punishment for blasphemy and you took it all. You became worthy of death so that I don't have to kill those I love. And now Jesus' name is the greatest. That, that name above all names. I, I, uh, I read an article this last week. It was really interesting. It talked about parenting and discipline and, and how parents should relate to their kids. And it said something that I'd never read before, but it's interesting. It, it said, when you're a parent, when you're giving instructions to your child, this article said, never bend down and get down to your child's level. This said, always stand up straight so your child is here looking up at you like this. It said, why? It, you need to, as, your, as the parent, make sure that your kids know there's someone in charge. And who is that? That's you. If you bend down to their level, you're giving them the impression that this is a collaborative effort, that your peers, and that... The, nobody is in charge. Your team is in charge. And children need more than that. That was a point of... John Roseman wrote that. A child psychologist. And that was his point. 
uh, Jesus doesn't obey that rule. He does it sometimes, right? Jesus, name above all names, the highest authority in heaven and on earth. And how does Jesus relate to you? Does he always look down at you as Lord and sovereign God of the universe? Sometimes. Because he needs to, because you're not peers with Jesus. He's God and you're not. But sometimes he breaks the John Roseman rule of parenting and he gets down. The name above all names. He gets down. Jesus did that. Remember when the woman who was caught in adultery was brought before him in John 8? And all the church leaders had stones in their hands ready to kill her because that's what the Old Testament said. And it says Jesus got down on his knees and he rode in the dirt and she was right next to him condemned by the church leaders. And Jesus said, if any of you out there has never committed a sin, you can throw the first stone. And the stones dropped to the ground. And Jesus looked her in the eye and said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Eye to eye. Face to face, Jesus gets to your level and promises you that he loves you and that you're not condemned. And he puts his fingers under your chin and he lifts it up and he says, Trust me, it's going to be all right. Look at me. I died for you. And that's your loving Savior who is the name above all names. Getting down to our level sometimes because he loves us. Um, that makes it so much easier for us to keep the second commandment, doesn't it? Doesn't it make it easier for us to, that kind of savior, to say, how can I give you a good review? How can I represent you, Jesus, and speak so well? So in that spirit, here's the second commandment. And added to it, the, the explanation of Martin Luther that we study in Luther's small catechism. Excellent, excellent summary of the commandments and biblical explanation of them. So you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What does this mean? We should fear and love God, that we do not curse, swear, practice satanic arts, lie, or deceive by his name, but call upon him in every trouble. Pray, praise, and give thanks. I want to do that. I want to do that better all the time. So, here's something that might help. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but have you ever had your mouth washed out with soap? I've just heard of this. I've read about it. Back when I was a kid, they told me that this was a practice that uh, parents, you know, would... would only of the bad children would take soap and when their kids said something naughty they would, you know, bring the soap out, stuff it in there, kind of rub it around a little bit. It tastes off. I mean, I heard it tastes awful. Uh, and it washes your mouth out and, and, and that happens to a little child and that little child 
never wants that soap in the mouth again because it tastes so yucky. It kind of tastes like you're going to die. It's just, just not, it's not a gross taste. It's just a, a chemical kind of taste that shouldn't be in the human mouth. And, and I never, I mean, children like that never want to say a bad word again. Now, now I have to explain. The, the standards in my house are really high. We, you know, there was... We couldn't use a certain word for passing gas that starts with an F and ends with a T. That, that was, in our house, that was a naughty word. Um, I couldn't, when you're referring to someone who is foolish or kind of an idiot, you couldn't, the S word, you couldn't call them S-T-U-P-I-D. That was, a, that was like a cuss, like a vulgarity in our house. So the bar, just saying, the bar was pretty high and it was, but... You learn when your mouth is washed out with soap. It has a point. It's effective. But, and I don't know, today it's probably easier with liquid soap. I, parents today can just use... It's effective, but it's not complete. Because Jesus says that, that sin comes not from our body members. He says your, your mouth isn't the cause of the sin, but it's your what? Your heart, right? Jesus says, out of the heart come evil thoughts. And he goes on. And so, soap doesn't cleanse my heart. It cleanses my mouth and maybe makes a point. As a kid, I can connect the two, but probably not so well. And so I need a clean heart. That's Paul's point when he writes verse 29, okay? So he, he uses, what, what I was using, soap, okay? Same thing, Paul's writing about circumcision, Right, this medical procedure on boys, same thing. It's, a, it's an outward procedure. And so Paul says, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by a written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. God wants all of your body parts to praise him. And, and to accomplish that, it's more than using soap or circumcision. It's changing your heart. It's purifying your heart. And so when he gives you these names, these new identities, he's, he's purifying your heart. And so that, that's where this ends up. I love this final verse of this section. Uh, a person's praise is not from other people. We look for that, by the way, way too much. Instead of looking for this. But your praise is from God. God praises you. You have such a pure and innocent identity in front of the one who knows everybody and everything you've ever done and knows your heart and he's watched you your entire life and he saw what you did this past weekend and he knows what you're going to do in three years from now. You have such a secure, pure identity that God looks at you and says, oh, I love them. Kind of like, uh, you know, parents or grandparents showing you pictures of, you know, parents are always talking about their kids and my kid, you know, you'd be bets clean up on the local t-ball team and, and posting pictures on Facebook of my kid performing. And that's great. Parents love, that's how God thinks of you. Or grandparents needing to show pictures of their grandbabies. You know, he just sees you and says, oh, they're so innocent and pure. And oh, I just, oh, they're so cute. That's God to you. God praises you because of your real identity. 
Not this fake ID. Not your names that you claim that are great names. But your real identity in Jesus Christ. God praises you. Now, our need for affirmation and praise is one of our highest human needs. Whether you're a church person or not, that's a high human need. And that stays with us even when we're church people. So you might be skeptical right now because we tend to be skeptical about people praising us. So I'm going to provide some biblical proof that God praises you. And I'm going to wrap it up this way by just revealing a, a few short Bible passages that show you how God praises you. And what he, these are the names he calls you as he praises you. Incredible names. So he calls you righteous and faithful. And then this next verse, another one from Isaiah Kind of when the people of Israel are struggling with an identity, uh, he uses these terms of endearment. Um, he, so like them, he calls you his child. Right? Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. That's you. He calls you... Strong and beautiful like an oak tree. Diving deep into the earth with its root system and spreading its limbs wide and they don't fall down. And God says, you're like that. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And then there's, there's a list, and this is in 1 Peter. I love this list. This is your real identity. You tell the devil these names when the devil wants to shame you. You tell yourself these names when you feel ashamed of yourself. This is your real identity from 1 Peter 2. He calls you his chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That, not done yet, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And that's the way to keep the second commandment. To, to praise God's name only because even before you have ever done that, he first praises yours. Amen. Let's pray. God of all grace, how can it be that you praise our names when we sin as we do? When we feel the shame that we do? Today we heard you convince us that you can do that because you're a God of love and grace. And your son Jesus Christ took the blame for our blasphemy and purified our hearts, our very identities. Help us, Lord, to live in these identities this week, to be as real as possible, to not believe the lies, to not let the shame go on, and to live in the joy and peace of your forgiveness for us. And then make us bold. Help us to change our words that we use. If we, if we cuss and we swear and we use vulgarity, Lord, let it be no more. Help us to represent you and give you a five-star review in what we do and what we say praising your holy name. Amen.